Today's scripture comes from Matthew chapter 5, verses 3, and Luke 18, verses 9 through 14. Matthew 5, verses 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Luke 18, verses 9 through 14. He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, will not even lift his eyes up to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. So we're looking at today uh, the, the first beatitude, which is blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom. And, and as I was thinking about this beatitude, I was thinking about how interesting it was that in the, 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 the main sermon that Jesus preaches that we have in the Bible, that he starts out this way. And it made me think about this idea of how we are all born uh, with this false sense of independence. This false sense of, of security, self-sufficient limitlessness. It's how we're born. I mean, you don't have to look further than if you have kids, right? So this past week, a couple weeks ago rather, uh, we are at the pool. Our three-year-old jumps in the pool and says, I want to swim. And so he's like drowning and he thinks he's swimming. You know what I mean? He's like, we're pulling him out of the pool. And now he's, you know, swimming. Uh, but it looks like he's drowning. You know what I'm talking about? He's like bobbing up and down. He's like, oh, I'm fine, Dad. We're like, man, this looks awful, but he's doing it. You know, it's, it's like your, uh, you know, your, your little kid that thinks they can pour a cup of orange juice on their own or a cup of milk, and they dump the whole thing out all over the, the kitchen floor. You know what I'm talking about? You cleaned up some of those this week. Uh, you, you know, it's, it's, it's when, my, when my son uh, thought that he could use a steak knife to cut something. You know, we, we just think that we're further along down the road than we are. And, we, and when we grow up, we just hide it better. You know what I mean? We just hide it better. We're, we're hurting and we're in pain and, and we just don't go to anyone. We just conceal it. And we're all alone on the inside. I, 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 as I think about this, uh, um, a quote that, uh, from an interview that Madonna did in Vogue magazine in 1991 comes to mind. I'll read it to you. She says this. <clears throat> this, is at the, this, is at the, this is at the heyday of her career. This is at the top. She's at the top of the ladder. Listen to what's going on the inside of her. My drive in life comes from the fear of being mediocre. That's always pushing me. I push past one spell of it and discover myself as a special human being. But then I feel I'm still mediocre and uninteresting unless I do something else because even though I have become somebody, I still have to prove that I am somebody. My struggle has never ended. I guess it never will. All of us in the room, if we are honest, are in the same place. We are striving to become someone. 
We are striving to be someone and we are relentless in our pursuit of proving ourselves. And Jesus says that the way that you win the game in the kingdom of God is to give up before you start. That, 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 that trail that you, that you seek and you follow and you go down to make a name for yourself has no end. It has no end. It keeps on going. There's, there's not enough money that you could earn. There's not a good enough family that you could have. There's not a great enough spouse or job that you could have. You get to the end of them only to seek more. Because as C.S. Lewis says, you know, we find ourselves longing and it's because we were made for another world. We're made for another world. So here we are. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So it's interesting because he's not talking about a material poverty here, although those two often go hand in hand. He's talking about an impoverished spirit. What's an impoverished spirit look like? An impoverished spirit is a spirit that knows that they are insufficient in and of themselves. This is how Jesus starts the only sermon, arguably, that he ever preaches that we have recorded. Like the way that we see them preached. He starts this way. And here's the deal. Everyone is poor in spirit, but not everyone is blessed because of it. Let me say that again. Everyone's poor in spirit. Everyone's needy and helpless. But not everyone's blessed because of it. And here's the reason why. Because not everyone embraces it in faith. Not everyone gets to this place in their life where they say, I'm needy, I'm desperate before God. And that's my only comfort in life and death. That He knows that about me. And He comes for me and He he cares for me. So the question that I'm inviting you to consider this morning as we look at this first beatitude is this. What is the source of my worth? Where does it come from? Are you in the boat that Madonna's in this morning? If you're honest, maybe there's a part of you that is where you know that you've got to keep up with the Joneses to have anything in life, to have any satisfaction in life, only to get to the end of the road to find out there's still emptiness inside of you. So we're going to ask that question and we're going to look at the parable, the story of the Pharisee and the tax collector to look at two approaches to finding self-worth. Two approaches. Jesus paints this picture. He tells this story to give us two ways to find self-worth. So we're going to dig in now to, to, uh, to Luke chapter 18 to do that. It'll be on the screen here behind me. Luke 18 says, uh, says this, and the, the first point is we're going to look at uh, the natural approach to self-worth, which is self-aggrandizement. Self-aggrandizement means that you're always building a resume for yourself. But you can never take off because you've got to build the resume. You've got to put something together that shows that you're worth something. This is how we're born. This is the natural posture of every single person in this room and every single person on the face of the planet is that we were born trying to build a name for ourselves. So Jesus paints this picture from Luke 18. We'll start in verse verse 9. He also told this parable to some, here's the key, who trusted in themselves that they were righteous, that they were in right standing with God. And treated others with contempt. So there's the comparison piece. He goes on to give the first example. Two men went up into the temple to pray. 
One was a Pharisee, that is a, a religious leader who had it all together. Kind of the, the cream of the crop, the, the top of the religious food chain. If anybody had it together, it was this guy. So the two go up to pray. Uh, the other is a tax collector. The Pharisee standing by himself prays, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men. Extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. And then the tax collector is standing off. He wouldn't even lift his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast saying, God be merciful to me, a sinner. So let's look at this first character, this first cat, the Pharisee. Now, here's the deal. We, we, we get a little vignette of the Pharisee's life here, and he sounds disgusting, doesn't he? We're like, oh, look at this guy. Come here. This is a straw man parable you're drawing here, Jesus. Now, here's the deal. We would love to have this guy at New City Church. I'm telling you, this would be the guy that you would want at any church. I'm telling you. He would be the guy that his family was put together. He was generous. He's serving every week. He's showing up early, staying late, but somehow loving his wife incredibly well. He's generous. He gives away tons of money. He's a philanthropist. This is who this guy is. He's doing all of the right things. But here's the key. With all of the wrong motives. He's doing all of the right things with all of the wrong motives. You see, you can do the right things with the wrong motives and be in sin. That's what you can do. It can look like everything in your life is together on the outside and your heart be estranged from God. This is where the Pharisee was because he was busy building a resume for himself. And we, we even hear it in his prayer as he looks over at the temple at the tax collector. He says, God, thank you. I'm not like this guy. Thank you. And we see him drawing on this comparison here. It, it, when you look at the Greek here, it, it, even, it even indicates that he's kind of praying to himself here. So he, he's, he's kind of praying to God, but he's also praying to himself. He's, he's trying to build this case for himself within himself that he is acceptable, that he's approved by God, and that God loves him. And so he's pulling all the strings as he's praying. God, look at all these things I'm doing. Look at all these things that I'm doing. The Pharisee is a self-made man. It reminds me of this. One of my, one of my favorite guitarists uh, is this guy named John Mayer. And there's an album that he put out that's this live album. And in the middle of the bridge, he's kind of, he's kind of playing and the crowd's kind of going nuts. And he's like riffing and soloing and melting faces. And, and he goes on to kind of say something like this. You know, I've done a lot of things in my life. And, uh, and, and he kind of says, you know, uh, I've tried a lot of things. And, and, and I tell you, you know, he kind of, he kind of describes how he, he made it happen. And he says, you know, I've made a lot of things happen for myself. And the crowd goes nuts. The crowd goes nuts. Because that's how we think we have to live. We have to make things happen for ourselves. And Jesus starts out the Sermon on the Mount saying, you can make nothing happen for yourself. You can make nothing happen for yourself. And the fact that you're blind to that is the most dangerous thing in the world. So blessed are those who are poor in spirit. Now how could the, how could the poor in spirit, the needy, the ones that look to God and have nothing to offer, how can 
they be blessed because God is all that they have. And, and, and Jesus gives them this promise as He indicates that to them. And He says, when you're poor in spirit, when you get to the end of your rope, yours is the kingdom of heaven. You're there. You've arrived. Yours is the kingdom when you get to the end of your rope. So why don't we just start there? So he starts the sermon that he preaches. So this man's building this case for himself in this parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. So here's my question for you. How can we know when we're building a resume for ourselves? What does that look like? How can we become more aware of the fact that we are prone to do that with everything? This is why we start off by talking about what we do. This is, this is why we, we look for things that God gives us as gifts, material possessions, and even family and things like that to carve out our identity. We, use, we, we, we love the gift instead of the giver. And Jesus invites us in here. You see, this self-aggrandizement that describes the Pharisee describes us. And the interesting thing is, is that self-aggrandizement is, is the clanging noise of a soul trying to fill the void of our souls with things that are far too small. It's this, it's this noise that rattles around in us because it doesn't even come close to filling us. And so that's why when you're around a person that is pretty arrogant and prideful, this is what they're doing. And the thing that I, the thing that I jump to in those cases sometimes is to say, oh, I'm kind of like the fair. I'm like, thank you, God, that I'm not as obvious in my sin as them, right? You kind of go to that, but we're still doing the same thing. We're building our resume. It doesn't matter what our vocation is. We're always trying to build our resume. But, but, but you see him go to this approach where he is comparing himself even in his prayer. And he, says, he says the word I five times in this short little prayer because he is building a case for himself compared to this other man. And that's what, that's what it looks like to be building a resume for yourself is that you can't afford to take a day off and give someone else glory because you have to get it for yourself. You have to become someone. And we go in between these, these two polarizing ditches as Christians. We go in between the ditch of delight when we find ourselves in God and He gives us all that we need and the other ditch is despair. And what is despair? Despair is the distance between who we are and who we long to be. That's what despair is. And so, in the despair, it's, it, you feel hopeless. And what Jesus does is He gives us faith to believe that He fills the gap between who we are and who we long to be. This is what Jesus comes to do, but it requires a self-emptying before we can be filled with the Spirit of God. So this is why we start the poverty of spirit. You know, C.S. Lewis says it like this in Mere Christianity. Pride gets no pleasure out of having something. Only out of having more of it than the next man. It is the comparison that makes you proud. The pleasure of being above the rest. Once the element of competition is gone, pride is gone. I, I want to be really honest with you guys. You know what I'm tired of? I'm tired of trying to win. I'm tired of trying to win at life. You know what I'm talking about? 
I'm tired of trying to be the best dad in the world. I'm tired of trying to be the most successful church player in the world. I'm tired of trying to be the best husband in the world. I'm so tired of it because it's not God's plan for me. God's plan for me is to rest in Jesus and have him delight in me and to live out of that with all my being. And it's the same for you. Ladies, are you constantly finding this, this longing to, for your husband to be someone that he's not? You're always comparing. You're comparing him with other people. Are you, are you tired of trying to win the full-time working mom game? Trying to balance everything and keep it all together. Or you stay-at-home moms. Are you tired of trying to win the Pinterest of the mom or the year award? You know what I mean? Are you tired of trying to win that? Your house always prim and proper and perfect and your kids well-behaved like good Southerners? Are you tired of that? Single ladies, are you tired of trying to find that significant other that you can place your identity in? Are you tired of going down that road? Fellas, are you tired of trying to win? Are you, ti- are you tired of trying to climb the, the, wrong, the ladder that's leaned up against the wrong wall? You know what I'm talking about? You feel like it's the only way to prove yourself, to appease your family, and give them everything that they need and desire. Are you tired of trying to climb that ladder? Are you ready to jump off of the thing altogether? Are you tired of it? Me too. Me too. Because here's what Jesus says. When you get to the place where you're tired of it, you're in a really good place. Because you're poor in spirit. You're poor in spirit. And you know what Jesus shouts to us in those moments? It is finished. It's finished. It is finished. The score is in before the first pitch has gone out from the game. It is finished. It's like Psalm 16 says, the lines have fallen from me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. It is finished. It's what Jesus invites you to experience, but you've got to be empty to experience that. And so Jesus invites us to that. Next, we look at this sober judgment, which is what Jesus invites us to as He paints the picture of the tax collector. Now, the tax collector was the dirtiest of sinners in this culture. Okay, I mean, this is why in the Scriptures you see them, you see the Scriptures say, you know, Gentiles, sinners, and tax collectors. There were like three stages. And the tax collectors were at the bottom of the barrel. They were the scum of the earth. They were the scum. You know, they're modern day kind of tax collector types of folks, right? I mean, we get what he's talking about here. So he invites us to this spirit-filled approach to finding self-worth. I, I love uh, the author uh, Henry Now, and he's no longer alive now, but he's written several things. He's a contemplative Catholic that has some very great things to give to us, even as Protestants. And in one of his books, he shares this story. He's this, he's this odd character, okay? He shares this story about how he would, how he would go uh, uh, on, use part of his vacation every year to go and spend with the trapeze artist at the circus, Okay? I mean, I can think of a lot of ways to spend a week of vacation. The circus is not one of them. 
He was enamored with the trapeze artist. You know the trapeze artist is the one that, that flies from those, like, like the bars that are on like strings or chains or whatever, and they fly to uh, other people that are hanging, suspended, you know, tens of 20, 30, 50 feet in the air, and they're catching each other. And he was spending time with this guy, these guys on the road, and he was talking to the trapeze artist leader, and he, uh, he said, you know, how do you do it? I mean, how do you do this? And he said, Henry, let me tell you a secret. This is the trapeze guy. He says, when I'm flying through the air, everyone thinks that I am the hero, and they're clapping, and they're going nuts, and I'm flying through the air. But let me tell you something. I am nothing if that guy doesn't catch me. I'm just a headline in the newspaper. I'm nothing if that guy on the other end, or that girl on the other end, doesn't catch me. I'm nothing. I'm nothing at all. And as we relate that, to the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector, the Pharisee was like a man flying through the air saying, look at me! I'm a self-made man! And the tax collector is saying, God, please catch me. God, please, please catch me. And this is the posture that pleases God. This is the posture that pleases God. So we pick back up and we look at the tax collector's approach to God in prayer here, okay? Luke 18, 13, and 14. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven. But he beat his breast and he said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Jesus says, I tell you, this man went down to his house justified, made right with God, rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. You know, this is the difference between humility and humiliation. Humility is intentionally losing your pride. Humiliation is unintentionally losing it, right? This, this is what he, he humbles himself. He's not even able to look at God because he is aware of who God is and who he is. The Pharisee is the guy that's standing over by himself in the temple looking up to God. So there's this false sense of self-sufficiency that the Pharisee has because of his religious activity. And, and, and it is possible to be very engaged in the life of a religious community and be very far from God. Very far from God. And this story, this parable, proves that. If the, if the Pharisee and the tax collector were in a game of poker, it's like they both have losing hands. And we can all see it, right? They both have losing hands, but only one of them is willing to admit it. So he lets it play out. His bluff goes on to Judgment Day, and he realizes that he doesn't have the winning hand. See, this is where Jesus meets us. It, it, it's not until we are able to take our stand on an approach to finding life that God can use. Because the, the Pharisee has an approach to finding self-worth in life. The problem is, is that God cannot use it. Because He is so full of Himself that God cannot fill Him. And so this is why it is so wonderful for us to think about how far we are from God. There is great joy that comes from considering who we are in light of who God is. The fact that we have limits 
the fact that we live within boundaries, the fact that we can't do everything, the fact that Jesus encourages us, not only encourages us, but commands us to rest. We're living within limits. That requires faith to do this. So here's the question. How do we get this? We know, we know the, two, the two ways, but how do we get it? I'm going to read for you 1 Corinthians 4, 1-7. through 7. I just want to make one point from this. So let's, let's read it together here. This 1 Corinthians 4, 1-7, through 7, starting in verse 1. This is how one should regard us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found faithful. But with me, it's a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by any human court. In fact, listen to this. I don't even judge myself. This is the Apostle Paul. He's saying I'm unable to be a good judge of myself. That's a very interesting statement. Let's keep reading. For I'm not aware of anything against myself, but I am not thereby acquitted. It is the Lord who judges me. Therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things that now are hidden in the darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart. Then each one will receive his commendation from God. I have applied these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit. There was divisions in the church. They were saying, I, Paul, I follow Paul, I follow Apollos. And so this is what Paul says about any of us that lead anyone is that we're all following Jesus. He says, uh, that you may learn by us not to go beyond what is written, that none of you may be puffed up in favor against one another. For who sees anything different in you? What do you have that you did not receive? If then you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? Paul gets something here. He, he's, he's not denying that sin is present in his life. You see that in the, 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 the Pharisee and the tax collector. One is willing to acknowledge that he's a sinner. The other is propping himself up before God. Paul's saying, look, I'm not aware of any sin in my life. But I'm also not going to deny that there might be something there I'm not aware of. Here's what you see in Paul. That, that his, his life in Christ is not defined by what he's done. The two are disconnected. His security in Jesus is not connected to his performance for Jesus. Who I am in Christ is not connected to what I've done in life. That's the beauty. That's the secret to a poor spirit. Because then you diffuse, like C.S. Lewis said, the ticking time bomb of comparison which leads to pride. Because you take it off the table completely. Why are we still in the courtroom even though the verdict is in church? Why are we still there? Why do we still engage in the battle of trying to prove ourselves even though Jesus has come and given us everything that we need in life. Why are we still trying to go to trial with God who's already stepped in and paid the payment for our judgment? Why do we keep getting in the ring with that? It's like Tim Keller says, it's only in Christ that we get the verdict before the performance. It's only in Christ that we get the verdict before the performance. You'll never see that anywhere else in life. Only in Jesus. So my question to you as we wrap this up today is this. How do you see yourself? How do you see yourself? And where is it in your life right now that you're still building the resume? 
Because it doesn't go away. It doesn't matter if you're 85 or you're 5. You're still trying to build your resume because that's, that, that's the, the conditions that we live in because of the fall. It's what happened in the garden. It's what happened there. Where is it that, that maybe you need to learn how to live out of the brokenness and weakness that God has put upon your life? How cool would it be if we were a church that were able to look at each other and say, hey man, I haven't just seen the highlight reel of this guy's life that everyone else admires, but I've seen the brokenness, the messiness. How cool would it be for your kids, dads, to say to you when they get older, you know, dad showed me a lot of things, but the greatest thing he ever showed me was how to repent and turn to Jesus. You know, not only can I, you know, can, can, I, can I fix a bathroom sink, but I know how to follow Jesus. I know how to repent. I know how to confront my sin and look to God in hope. How cool would it be if that was our narrative, if that was our story? And so my question to you as we close, and I want to share the story with you, is are you weak enough to be saved? Are you weak enough to be used by God in His kingdom? Steve Brown shares a story where uh, he says he was a lifeguard whenever he was a, he was a teenager, and he said that, you know, as a lifeguard, some of you are lifeguards in the room or have been lifeguards, you know, there's, every once in a while, you got to get in and get to work, right? I mean, you got to save someone that's drowning, you know? you gotta, you got to step in, and he said that there would be this point with, with people that were particularly feisty about kind of getting by, you know, getting through it on their own. I picture like a, a Roman in my family that thinks he can swim even though he looks like he's drowning. I, I picture a story like that. And he said, what would have to happen to save that person who was so self-sufficient and driven even though they couldn't swim? What would have to happen is you would have to, you would have to wait almost until they were getting ready to go under when they finally gave up to pull them out of the water. My question to you, church, as we begin this series, is are you weak enough to be saved? Are you weak enough to be used by God? Let's pray. Father, we, we come to You and uh, we confess that we run. We run from our neediness and our, our dependence upon You. Our, all the things that You reveal to us about how much we need You, we run from those things. Because we think that there's no way, there's no way that we can be satisfied and happy with a narrative that's filled with lack and need. We confess, God, that we, we at times have believed the narrative of this world more than we have believed what You have called us to. And so, Father, I pray that You would give us a measure of great boldness this morning. That we would be willing to step into the reality that we are all at the end of our ropes. That that everyone's poor in spirit, but not everyone's blessed. God, we want to be the ones that are blessed because of our awareness of our poverty of spirit. So grow in us a dependence, a depth, a neediness of Your Son Jesus and His work to be applied to our hearts daily. Grow that in us, we pray. In Jesus' name.